It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Day two into a short work week. But no, we're going to go long this week. Why? Because Issues Etc. did. <laughs> Can't let those guys outdo us. Well, they do in every other way anyway. Intelligence. <laughs> oh, man. Got a great program lined up for you today. This is the uh, infant baptism episode. Yeah, and I'm not going to do this one by myself. No way, Jose. In fact, I got on the line with me today a special guest uh, from Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Hey, Brian, you there? I'm here, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. Professional Bri- baptizer at your service. <laughs> that not this how Lutherans do evangelism? Uh, how do we do it again? Yeah. Oh, by baptizing. Yeah, baptizing infants. I mean, that's about the that's uh, the LCMS's idea of evangelism, right? Yeah, that's right. So get all you listeners out there that want to be more evangelical, uh, just start having more babies. Well, this is, so we can do that along with uh, like you know follow up to like a sex challenge, like a seven day sex challenge or something. <laughs> That that really is not such a bad evangelism program. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, oh, it man. has potential. I mean, of course, it, I didn't realize this until I heard his sermon that apparently uh, uh, sex is worship and and it's and sex is discipleship too. Oh, I missed all that. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> I, or maybe I'm glad to say. <laughs> We're way off topic, but that's okay. The reason why I, I brought Pastor Brian Wolfmuller on the show today is because both of us actually come out of uh, evangelicalism and we're adult converts to Lutheranism, which means that just basically we're just obnoxious Lutherans. Isn't, it, <laughs> isn't that how it goes? Yes. You know, it's it's like the worst smoker, uh, the worst, uh, what is it, non-smokers are the worst towards smokers. Yes. The worst non-smoker. The people that have quit smoking. Yeah, so the worst non-smoker is an ex-smoker. Is an ex-smoker. Okay. Oh, there you go. So the worst evangelical, uh, the worst non-evangelical <laughs> is an ex-evangelical. Is that how that you works? You don't know what you're talking about. Oh man! I should, again, what did I say? You know, issues, et cetera, They far outstrip us as far as just basic intelligence is concerned. Uh, for me, I got to tell you, uh, infant baptism was one of the last things that kind of clicked into place for me. In fact, I think I was a Lutheran for a few years before I I gave it up on this one and, and realized that it was really um, biblical. Although, what's funny is is that um, it's the it's the evangelical view of baptism that helped kind of wedge me out of uh, evangelicalism, just doing biblical comparative work. But it took me a while to bend the knee to the concept that that Christ can give faith to whomever he chooses to give faith to, and that if it's not dependent on a human decision, then uh, you know, our understanding of the means of grace, that, that it applies to all sinners alike, regardless of uh, their chronological age. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look at, you know, these, what really we see when we look at baptism or the Lord's Supper, um, or the way the gospel is preached in the church, or this sort of thing, is these are really glimpses into the heart of the theology of a church, and and it's and it's a, uh, you know, these churches where they say, oh, you know, we're not that different. We really are. I mean, they're, we're cut from a different kind of cloth, mm-hmm. and it takes a little while. I mean, you might make uh, kind of the external adjustment to Lutheranism, but to really kind of get to the heart of the thing, where infant baptism begins to make sense. I mean, it's tough work to do. Right. So you're you're really abandoning an old way and and embracing a new a new way of reading the under, uh, the Bible and understanding God's grace. Right. Now, I understand there's a lot of our listeners here that are going to be tuning in today with with kind of a perplexed um, 
almost bewilderment, you know, that there's anybody who can honestly, you know, try to defend infant baptism from the scriptures. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's stories that abound in evangelicalism. And I, and I, you know, was a champion of such stories, you know, show me one passage of scripture which shows that an infant is baptized and I'll believe you on infant baptism. Well, that, that, those things sound like you can easily just dismiss infant baptism, um, just based upon that idea. But that same logic, then we would have to dismiss the doctrine of the Trinity because the word Trinity nowhere appears in scripture. Instead, it's derived from a careful exegetical, study of scripture and 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 the the text itself that reveals if you let the speak the text speak that god is you know is one and yet god is three and so in, in i think in a similar way it, it uh, the the issue of infant baptism requires careful study in the scripture and approaching it from the point of view of letting letting god's word really dictate uh what baptism does first of all what it's for second of all and then uh, and then who 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 would be eligible and it apply to uh kind of lastly and with a with with a footnote that uh you know can an infant have faith and you actually wrote a, an article back in uh 2006 and we have it at extremetheology.com and I'm going to put a link up to it on today's show called infant faith a list of scriptures and i you know i don't want to put the cart before the horse but i want to uh really let people know that this is this is going to be up there as a resource to uh you know four people on this so that being the case you know if we're going to take a careful look at, at, at the scriptures regarding this um uh, pastor wolfmuller just offhand uh, cursory uh view of scripture are there any passages of scripture that would support um either explicitly or you know exegetically carefully uh interpreted the idea that evangelicals have that the reason i need to get baptized is in order to show the world that i have made a decision for jesus well look that's i mean that is key right there because that points to the big difference between baptism i mean the the southern baptists and all of our friends in evangelicalism like to call baptism an ordinance uh, we lutherans call it a sacrament and you say well what's the, what's the difference and and the difference is um I mean, really, they're the exact opposite from each other. The, an ordinance is our first act of obedience to God, or is an act of obedience to God. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's something we're doing in service to God, and maybe as a testimony or a witness to what we believe on the inside, an external testimony to our internal faith, something like this. Right. A, a sacrament is, is a precise opposite. It's God... Uh, serving and giving and promising and delivering things to us, mm-hmm. so that um, so that when we come to this, and this is just the basic distinction between law and gospel. I mean, the law is that those things which the Lord does, which the Lord commands of us to do for Him to serve Him, right? Uh, and they also then happen to show our sinfulness because we're sinners. Uh, and the gospel is what what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in His cross and in His in His gospel to deliver to us the forgiveness of sins. So we just, I mean, really, this is the basic question that we need to ask: Is baptism law or gospel? Mm-hmm. And when we look at the scriptures, we see uh, over and over and over again that baptism is connected to the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Well, let's give uh, some examples of that. So the, yeah. I'm not going to let you go too far. If you're going to make a claim like that, you're going to have to back it up, because we, we firmly believe in sola scriptura here. And so I, I don't let any quack theologians just start spouting stuff about, you know, the Bible says this without being able to back it up. You know, we're in the prove-it mode. So. Well, 
I'll be a quack theologian that proves it. Okay, good. In fa- hey, you know, in fact, there's another, there's, a, there's another little bitty paper. It's not as long as this infant uh, faith paper, but it's called What's the Big Deal About Baptism? And maybe we can link up to that on Extreme 2. Uh, I'll plop it up there or something. But sure. here's, here's a few verses. This, this, this paper lists all the verses that give these that gives baptism to us as a gospel. Here's one, Acts okay. 2.38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. So read that one more time. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, so here we have, this is the Apostle Peter speaking, isn't it? Yeah, right after the, his Pentecost sermon, and they say, hey, what can we do to be saved? And, and this is his answer. And, and by the way, just as a, a, another aside, I don't like to let people get away with saying that there's no explicit verse where it says children ought to be baptized. Because when you read the next verse, this is Acts 2.39, okay. Peter continues and he says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all those who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Okay, so that's 2.38 and 39. Right. In 2.39, the Apostle Peter is basically saying that this promise of salvation that he is basically saying comes about, at this point he's using uh, repentance and the and baptism for the remission of sins, yeah. is what the passage says. Right. Okay, and then you're saying that the next verse actually ties it back to children. Do you know what uh, what Greek word is being used there for children? No, but stall for a minute, and I'll tell you. No, oh, that's stall. <laughs> Would you like me to do a little soft shoe? How about uh, you could do um, do one of those Monty Python skits. You could make one of those up. <laughs> yeah, let me just right off the top of my head, you know. <laughs> We actually just finished one of those up that uh, that we did. We call it the 30-day uh, Bible reading challenge. And uh, apparently in, in the sketch itself, the people who are being interviewed on the streets, you know, uh, regarding the 30-day Bible reading challenge just don't think it's a good idea. So, <laughs> and we got, go. we got one we're working on right now on the Lectio Divina. We're actually doing a uh, Marty Python on the Lectio Divina, which ought to be really, really fun. <laughs> you should do a... Uh... Uh, some Christian doing these Christian yoga sort of things and yeah yeah here okay good stall I've got the word now it's, uh, it's technois okay which is kind of a general I mean it's not pi- the general word for in the Greek for child is uh, pideon uh, technoin is um, it, it's it also is a little bit vague it has special reference to the to the relationship of the child with the parents okay uh, and it also can be used for unborn babies in the womb mm-hmm. considered technoin okay. So, all right, let me read the passage then again in context. Here, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Uh, actually, let me back it up. 37. 37 okay. So, after, so which is really funny is, you know, people meant, you know, people think that the big miracle at, at, on the day of Pentecost was the gift of tongues. Actually, the big miracle was the preaching that occurred. <laughs> yes. You know, at the end of it, it, so Peter preaches this great Pentecost sermon and says in the text, it says in 37, says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or you said remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So apparently 39 makes it clear that God can call to himself children as well. True. Okay. 
But that's not, look, that's not, it's not like there's only one verse that says this. Although, boy, this verse, I've got some history with this verse, because I remember when I was in Calvary Chapel, and uh, and I was trying to sort out this baptism stuff, I went and got a, a CD teaching of, of, uh, of the teacher on this verse. It was, um, uh, the pastor was, you know, they do the verse by verse all the way through, and I, and I was trying to understand how this verse didn't mean that we were, our sins are forgiven in baptism. Oh, you, so so went, you were trying to find out how to get around that? Right, that's right, because it looks so clear. So I said, well, I must be misreading something or something like this. So I went to listen to the teaching, and it says that this word ice, which is into or uh-huh. for, right. um, uh, uh, the teacher there was talking about how it could also mean because of. And he quotes this one verse where what? they think it means because of, and it's a, and it happens to be the New Testament quoting a Septuagint verse. I mean, this word ice is used what? I mean, it's, I mean, it's in every other verse. It's thousands of times. Right, right. And maybe one time, maybe it could possibly mean because of. And then uh, the guy teaching there quoted this obscure version of the Bible uh, that, that translates it, be baptized because of the remission of sins. So you see what they were doing. What he was trying to say was, well, because your sins are forgiven, then you ought to be baptized. Uh-huh. So I, I remember going down to the library, looking for this version of the Bible. It wasn't there. I, I did an interlibrary loan, and it came, and I opened up the, the foreword to this Bible, and it says, this is a paraphrase of the English. It's not a translation of the Greek and shouldn't be understood as such. Huh. Crazy. So that's where he was getting his... Uh, his translation. But look, you can't, so you can't do it. You can't get around the text. You're being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Right. And there's a good cross-reference there from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22. Yeah, uh, verse 16. Verse 16. And uh, let me let me get over there on my computerized Bible so we at least kind of live up to some issues, etc., standards, but at least we sound smart. Um what is this issue that's such a thing? I'm kidding. <laughs> I, Do you have I, an inferiority complex? Oh, absolutely. You didn't know about that? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, should I e- never knew. Okay. I should email you. Okay, right, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. I How sad that people have to overhear this. Okay. Acts chapter 22. I'm going to start at verse 12 so we keep it in context. So this is Paul kind of relaying his... Uh, uh, road to Damascus experience where he gets knocked off his high horse by Jesus Christ himself. And so he's sent into, uh, in, into Damascus to a man who's named Ananias, who's, you know, and, you know, who's, you know, basically going to give him the gospel. It says in one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there came to me standing by me. He said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And then he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now what, why do you wait or what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So... Is there any be baptized and wash away your sins? Acts twenty two sixteen. That's right. So, any anything in the Greek that would make us want to figure out how we can get around that? I mean, we got earlier in the in the book we got for the remission of sins, and now we got Ananias, and really in the words of Paul, making it sound like uh, baptism can wash away your sins. Who who ever heard of something as absurd as that? Well, right, and it keeps on going though. I mean, this is not the only place that we have this in the scripture. Okay, continue. Uh, here, so let's try, try Titus three. Uh, and we can start, Titus 3.5 is the verse we want to look for, but you and your addiction to context probably wants to go back before then. Well, right, because I don't want you to be a quack. <laughs> I 
protecting me here. Uh, let's see here. What if we start at verse 4, Titus 3, 4? Okay. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, okay. whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay. And that the... having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, so there we got that washing word there in the Greek, or you know, right there in the text. What, what do we make of that? Well, I, look, if we just are looking at the New Testament and trying to figure out what this, what this washing is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the, just the first thing we want to think about is baptism. Right. I mean, it's the kind of thing that where Peter says, uh, was talking about baptism in 1 Peter 3, and he says, not the washing external of the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. This is So baptism is this washing. And here's another verse, Ephesians 5. Okay. This is, I think, a fantastic one. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, okay. where, where Paul's talking about marriage there. And he talks about husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Maybe her. I like her better. Uh-huh. Than the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, okay. that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, it should be holy and without blemish. Okay, so here we've got this washing theme going on here. So God apparently is into some kind of a Maytag, Maytag spin cycle when it comes to uh, washing away our sins? Well, yeah, look, it's, I mean, baptism has this marvelous imagery of being this, this cleansing, this washing, this wiping away of sin. Right. Why it's the sacrament of justification. Mm-hmm. And remember, we're asking, we're, we're trying to, with these texts, answer the question, is baptism law or gospel? Is it something we're doing or something God is doing for us? And when we see in all of these texts that the promise of forgiveness of sins is connected to baptism, that it's washing, that it's, that it's cleansing, and all of these sorts of things, then we, I mean, we really can't but conclude that baptism is gospel. Okay. Now, this is where uh, a lot of people might struggle, because if, if you're, you're attributing or ascribing to baptism, you know, these, these scriptural things where it washes away sins or for the remissions of sin, remission of sins, that it's a washing, and there's other passages, you know, for instance, in uh, Romans chapter 6, it says that we, in our baptisms we're buried with Christ mm-hmm. and we're raised with Christ. Um, and then in Colossians chapter 2, uh, baptism, literally, uh, it, it says that in our baptisms, our hearts are circumcised by Christ himself. And so when you, um, you know, when you, when you ascribe all these things to baptism, the one thing that I had a hard time with is this idea, well, if, you know, how do you get around the fact that you're making it sound like somebody's performing a particular work that will save them? Yeah, the, look at this. I mean, now we're really getting to the heart of things, because if you have a theology that says baptism cannot be gospel, it cannot be the delivering of the promise of the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. and you are maintaining that in spite of all of these texts which are, are teaching against it, mm-hmm. then uh, you know that there's some other theology there at work. And I think it's this kind of neo-Gnosticism uh, that kind of gets around uh, evangelicalism, which says that if something's internal then it can be spiritual, mm-hmm. but if it's external, then it has to be a work. Right. So if something happens outside of us, uh, if it's going on in the physical world, it has to be a work. If you can so touch it, if you can touch it or taste it or smell it or pour it, then it can't be spiritual. That's, that's right. just matter. Exactly. 
Exactly. And so because, look, you can touch water, and you're actually, there's someone actually lifting an arm and doing something. Right. So there's some sort of kinetic motion, then it's understood to be a work. Okay. See? But th- this is not how bapti- baptism is given to us. As a g- all, in fact, all of God's gifts are given to us externally. Right. Like, look, was it a work when, uh, when, uh, when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness and all these guys that are dying from being bitten by snakes are looking to the, look to the, you look to the serpent, you'll be healed. And they say, well, I, that's works righteousness. I've got to look to this thing to be healed. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's gospel. <laughs> God has provided a means by which you can be saved from the snakes. Right. Boy, that sounds like gospel to me. Um, it sounds like gospel. God yeah. saving us. Look, and, it, and there's something to this, that it's, uh, that it's external to ourselves. There's some, I mean, this is the big problem with evangelicalism, is that it's an internal religion. And, right. and that is a desperate situation. I mean, you know it, I, I know it. Uh-huh. Uh, all of those uh, evangelicals out there listening, hopefully, are are learning it, that to have this internal religion is just deadly to our spiritual condition, because we're always trying to gauge our level of spirituality and gauge our holiness and how we're doing in our walk with God and all of this, rather than looking at what God has done for us. Right. So it, 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 the, the, the gospel points us outside of ourselves to an alien righteousness that's done for us, and in much the same way, God attributes the really... Is, is describing all of these really, really powerful promises in the waters of baptism. And we know it's true only because the water is being connected with God's word. These are all external to us and literally applied to us, what, you know, whether we want to believe it or not. That's right. And so the evangelical mind sees baptism, and they, sees it, they see it as an ex- external act, and so they know that just by necessity of it being an external act, it cannot be gospel. And so then all their theology then grows out of that. Right. Which, uh, their, their baptismal theology grows out of that. Okay. All right. Well, then we've got this real kicker. I haven't brought this passage up on, my, um, on this program yet, but it's time to do it. Um, you know, again, clear passages governing. First uh, Peter chapter 3, you have this... Um, you have this outrageous thing going on here, and, and I want to read the passage in context and let you, uh, let you respond, um, because I can remember as an evangelical trying to find a way around this one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I found a very creative way around it, and I've, I've heard other people parrot this, this uh, defense against the clearer meaning of the Scripture on this, but uh, well, let me read the passage. It's First uh, Peter chapter three, starting in verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That sounds like a substitutionary atonement for me. There, uh, vicarious. Uh, sorry, uh, any emergent people listening? You know, anyway, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which we he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they were they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, which a few, that is eight persons who were brought safely through water. So what I think Peter is doing here is he's relating the flood as to some as, as some kind of a foreshadowing of baptism, if I'm not mistaken. And, well, yeah, that, that's right. And that's what he's going to say in the next verse. Right. Uh, now, and so he, here's what he says. He's, in verse 21, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, that's the flood now saves you. So if you were to take out the correspondence to this and just put the ver- the, the noun and the verb together, um, it would be baptism now saves you. 
not right. as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. So, what, And what does that last part remind you of? Uh, authorities and powers having been made sub- subject to him. Uh, what does it remind me of? Yeah. It sounds an awful lot like Matthew 28, where he says, all authority is given yeah, to me. Yeah, exactly. It, that, that, no, you're ab- dead right. In Matthew, the, the, the Great Commission. Yeah, and then he says, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go and baptize. Right. And here it is again. All authority, I mean, this, so, the, so the correspondence to all authority being given to Jesus and the, and the salvific effect of baptism are tied right next to each other. Right. It's marvelous. Yeah. So here, here we have it just in, in basic Greek language. Baptism now saves you. It can't possibly mean that, Pastor, can it? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I remember the same struggle that you had with yeah. the very verse saying, yeesh, that looks pretty clear. Yeah, and so I, 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 the the solution I came up with, I, I can't remember who I read it from. Basically, the defense I came up with, I read somebody who said, "Well, this isn't referring to water baptism. This is this is a waterless spiritual baptism." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the good old, it's the baptism of the spirit which saves you because that can be internal, right, in your heart. You see. And so it can be salvific. Baptism can save you as long as it doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of you. As long as you don't have any water or hands or anyone speaking involved, as long as it just kind of comes upon your heart, then it right. can be salvific. It's, I mean, we've got to get by this Gnosticism because it it clouds the Scriptures and it puts our whole salvation in doubt. Right. Because the way God... I mean, look at how... It's like saying, well, okay, if you want a spiritual baptism like that, then you're going to have to have a spiritual ark that saved Noah. (laughs) (laughs) But you you go and you look and you read the story of Noah, and you, I mean, you know, these guys are all around the world, they're building these arks, you know? Right. The description of the ark is so so clear in the the scripture text. You can actually go and, if you can figure out what gopher wood is, you can go and build one. (laughs) I mean, it's that it's that real and physical. Right. It's, it's the same thing with baptism. I mean, you can you can feel the water there that's doing the that, that that the word is connected to that's rescuing you. Right. What I think is interesting is in the Greek text there in uh, in uh, verse twenty one, um, it makes the 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 flood to be the symbolic thing and baptism to be the real thing. Yeah, the anti tupos. Right. That's nice. Yeah, so you have type, uh, just for those uh, uh, listening here, you got type, which is the Old Testament uh, thing, and then you got the anti-type, which is the New Testament reality. Right. And you're right, it's, is, is, uh, you think of the flood as a pretty real thing. I mean, Noah certainly thought of it as a real thing, and all the, the, the souls of all men who died in it right. realized it was a real thing. But here, uh, Peter's saying that was a picture of baptism. Right. Which is even more real. That's stunning. <laughs> So yeah, no, it just it's 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 so clear in the passage. So here we've got this amazing uh, when you when you add all up when you add up all the different passages regarding baptism, that your sins are remitted, that your sins are washed away, that you're buried with Christ, that you're raised with Christ, that your heart is circumcised by Christ. It 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 makes sense then since all of those things that we've listed so far are are not anything that we can do but are done for us by Christ, um, that that Peter would take it to its ultimate conclusion that baptism, and he said this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now saves you. Right. What a marvelous truth, too. And just to, I mean, kind of round out the biblical testimony here, we have a, a similar thing in Mark sixteen sixteen with the Lord 
uh, Jesus speaking there, and he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now people say, but look, it says believe and be baptized. Well, fine, of course it says believe and be baptized. But it, what it doesn't say is he who believes is saved. Right. I mean, baptism has something to do with salvation mm-hmm. in some way or another. Whew. I mean, you can't get around it. And then you, you also have Galatians 3, where it says you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Right. I mean, all these marvelous promises of baptism. It, really, you can't... Uh, Luther says we could spend our whole lives just trying to believe the promises, the blessings that baptism gives. Right. So with all of these blessings, all of these promises, all of a sudden you realize that baptism being Christ's work and it being external is now something that we Christians can look to in times of doubt, in times of trial, in in times when we feel like God can't possibly forgive us for that sin— you can say, wait a second, I've been baptized, my sins have been remitted, my, I've been buried with Christ, I've been raised with Christ. And all of these things are external to ourselves, so rather than throwing us inside of ourselves for comfort, we can actually go back to our baptism, which, by the way, if you've attended a, a Lutheran church that's liturgical, uh, they, Lutherans have a habit of, of crossing themselves, but it's not just because they they think that they want to be Catholic, but they, they it, it goes along with the catechesis that the reason why we cross ourselves in, is in remembrance of our baptisms. Yeah, that's right. I mean, our baptism is a current reality. We didn't, we'd never say, uh, I was baptized, but I am baptized. I right. Mean, we, it's, baptism puts us into... You know, the, the key verse for baptism in the whole scriptures that we haven't even touched yet is this business of um, uh, of Matthew 28 again, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. is that we, uh, when we are baptized, we, we are given a new name by God, the Holy Trinity, and we become part of his family. We right. become a brother of Jesus or a sister of Jesus. We should say Jesus becomes our brother and, and God becomes our father. Right. Uh, we're adopted as his, as his children and his and and we're heirs of the heavenly kingdom, and so it's, it puts us into a, into a, in, into the family of God. It's wonderful, and and we and, and we are in that family no matter what. I, we were talking about adoption the other day in Bible class, and if a uh, say a, a father dies and um, and uh, and his wife then or the the mother of a child uh, uh, gets remarried a couple years later, and the father wants to adopt the child, he goes through this rigmarole and signs all these papers and everything like this. And uh, and I was asking someone in my Bible class, I don't know if this is true all over, but they, they had been through this, and I said, did the child do anything to be adopted? And they said, nope, they just were adopted. It's, but, the, but the father does all this stuff, and all of a sudden the child has a different father, has a different name, has a different everything. And that's how it is with our baptism. We go from being children of the devil to being children of the heavenly father. He gives us his name. And it's all done by the will of our heavenly father, and the uh, the adoptee is pretty much a passive recipient of the adoption. Yeah, yeah. For I mean, really, for anything to be good news, we have to be passive recipients of it, and that's exactly how it is with baptism. Right. All right, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into uh, into Pastor Wolfmuller's article about infant faith and the list of scriptures that he's given regarding that. 
And uh, and so stay tuned. We're not we're not at all remotely close to finished with this topic yet because there's a lot to go through biblically. So if you would like to email me and uh, or if you would like to send a note on to Pastor Wolfmule and let him know what a heretic he is, you can do so by emailing me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And we will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weapon are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven inquisition. uh, I I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who do weapons are our chief weapons are, um, uh, uh, vision. Okay. Okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Use your life. Hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? We're, We're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that!
Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. This is a voodoo topic today. Dealing with baptism and infant baptism. Because, you know, this is one of those things that, uh, as an evangelical, I remember debating my Lutheran friends in college and just absolutely thinking they were completely backwards and heretical. Baptism saves? Yeah, this baptism saves thing. And they kept taking me back to these passages and, and driving me back to the text, driving me back. What does the text say? What does the text say? What does the text say? And, I, I, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't publicly admit that these guys were right because, that you know, being a prideful guy that I am, that would have hurt. <clears throat> but, um, you know, having to sit in my study and just going, mm, mm, these guys are right. Man, it makes me mad. <laughs> It was painful. I mean, you know, there's something to that, too. I remember one of the most difficult things being, uh, really being convinced in my own mind that what the Bible teaches about baptism is the same as what the Lutherans teach about baptism, but asking this question, how could so many teachers that I trusted and that stud- spent their whole lives studying the Scriptures, right. how could they be wrong about this? Yeah, and I think uh, what's funny, that's a great point, is, is that it, it, you get to the point where... Um, you come up with reasons like, well, Pastor so and so was such a great guy and a godly man. Of, you know, he was a, a godly man, and and the, how could he possibly have been wrong or, or steered me in the wrong direction? And so what happens is, is that that it, little internal argument takes you takes your focus again off of what Scripture says and tr- just gives you know you some reason why you can rationalize this stuff away. But you can't. Yeah, right. But, I mean, look at when you get the scriptures and just lay them out and you see. I remember when, when I was doing this, as going evangelical to Lutheran and looking at baptism, I, I looked up all 112 verses or 212 verses in the New Testament that talked about baptism and just read them all. Right. Just to see, you know, what's going on here. And you really, I mean, it's, it's impossible to escape the fact that God is working salvation in in baptism, that it comes as his gift. Right. And then, if you have a theology that's dead set to reject that sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, then you got to realize that you're working with a different theology than what the Bible is. You've you've added some sort of man-made doctrine to the Bible, to, and it's, it's begun to reshape the way you read and see the Scriptures. Right. Yeah, so it, it's actually blinding you to what the Scriptures actually say. Right. And, and the sad part is it's blinding you to the gift that the Scriptures have to give. Because like you were talking about, I mean, a baptism stands as the objective work of God. 
and and we can even when we don't feel like we're forgiven or we don't feel like we're the children of God or we don't we don't have this kind of emotional connection or this um or we even look at our lives and we say how in the world could I be a Christian right. we can we can look then at baptism and see look at the Lord has adopted us as his children he mm. has us as his own he's done it he's put his name on me right uh, he, he's done the work and I, and now I I'm just simply left to rejoice in it right and and you can tell the devil to go take a hike, you know. Be gone with you, devil. I don't need to hear these accusatory words. I, I have God's definitive word. You are forgiven and your sins are washed away. Yeah, and, and this is how Paul, you know, we looked at a lot of these passages like uh, Romans 6, Galatians 3, Colossians 2. Uh, you even have it in Philippians and in First Thessalonians, if I remember right. When, yeah. When Paul is making this, you know, uh, everyone uh, who studies the Scriptures will, will note that when... Paul and his epistles will switch from kind of a, a doctrine section to a life section. Right. And he'll talk about justification, the forgiveness of sins, and then he'll talk about sanctification and mm. how we love our neighbor and serve out God in our vocation. Right. And the transition that Paul most often uses is baptism. Right. But baptism is that, is that hinge. In other words, it stands as the objective absolution, the forgiveness of our sins, that puts us in the family of God and in the Church and... and standing before God with no fear of judgment because our sins have been forgiven. It puts us there, and then uh, now we're also, by this baptism, placed before our neighbors to serve them and love them in our different vocations. All right. Well, this kind of segues then into the the next logical piece of this, and this, again, was the hardest part for me, um, was... You know, if if all of these promises in baptism, these wonderful, ridiculously gracious promises of baptism that our sins are forgiven, our sins are washed away, we're buried with Christ, we're raised with Christ, we put Christ on as a garment, our hearts are circumcised, and as Peter says, baptism now saves you. All these ridiculous things, the question comes up is then, who is eligible then for baptism? Because most people in evangelicalism will say that they believe in what they call believer's baptism. You know, and and the, the irony there is is that you know, they, they, they'll, they'll have some kind of a major emphasis on it's important that the person's fully immersed, but the, the water doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah the, there is a great irony because the form is so important. If, it's, if you don't go all the way under the water, it's not a valid baptism, but then you say, well, what is a valid baptism anywho? I mean, what, what, is it, what is the difference between a valid baptism and an invalid baptism for you if baptism doesn't do anything to begin with? Right. If it's all symbol anyways, I mean, what I didn't sincerely show the world that I truly did accept Jesus as my Savior? That's no, because I only went up to my eyebrows. Yeah, well. Oh, it's weird, isn't it? Well, I've seen yeah, your I mean, eyebrows. You might want to do something about those. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, man. I, but it's this goofy sort of thing where we don't, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous place to be talking about symbols because the Bible doesn't talk in symbol talk; it talks in reality. Right. Uh, in fact, the way that it'll give it to us, a, a lot of the symbols are in the Old Testament. The reality now comes in the New Testament. You got shadows, and then you have fulfillment right. in Christ. And so, uh, you know, this Romans six verse being crucified with Christ. If you're baptized, you're crucified with Christ. And people say, look, this is a symbol that you're crucified with Christ. It's a symbol that you're buried with Christ. But it doesn't it's not say what that. The text says no. It says you are. Right, buried with Christ in baptism. Correct. That it says it as if it's some kind of a real reality, you know. Yeah, because it is. I mean, that's the point. And let's. And what if we take the things of God and begin to make them symbols? This is the kind of goofy thing with evangelical 
it's it's and it's I don't know if it's getting worse or getting better, but you see where they there are parts of the scriptures that will talk symbolically, especially apocalyptic uh, right. parts and prophetic parts, and they'll interpret those literally. And then there's historic, literal speakings, and and those are all interpreted symbolically. Crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's as if they t- try to figure out how to interpret the historical aspects of uh, and even the systematic doctrinal pieces in the scriptures through the symbolic lens of the book of revelation and the seven and the 70 weeks of daniel right you can't do that okay so that this now the question is is that who's eligible then for oh, yeah. baptism well here we just look to the lord's word in matthew 28 where he tells us who to disciplize mm-hmm. and he simply says all nations and with this word all nations pantata ethne i think it's there uh, he lifts any restriction. Uh, all people, all nations, uh, men, women, old, young, all people. Okay, so he didn't say go go and make disciples of uh, of uh, all eligible adults within all nations uh, who are who've made a decision for me. It doesn't say anything. It just says go and baptize all nations. And basically the implication there is that that's all people, regardless of age, race, stripe, uh, eth- uh, you know, sex, or anything. You're right, right. It basically, I mean, if baptism is a washing away of sin, it's a, ba- it's a washing away of sin for all sinners. So if there's someone who wasn't a sinner, then you could rightly say, like what John the Baptist said, that I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. If right. you find someone who's not a sinner, then maybe you could question if they should be baptized or not, like John did. But uh, uh, barring that, then uh, baptism is for everyone. Well, th- that's kind of the way I think evangelicals try to backdoor clause infants out of baptism, is because they'll basically try they try to ascribe to them some kind of uh, primal innocence that, uh, that goes away once they hit this unbeknownst speed bump called the age of accountability. You know, and so the you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think that comes. I think that's coming from the back door, though. Like you said, but if we take the front door, maybe it happens like this: is that uh, I, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who's a evangelical pastor uh, down the street, downtown Denver, some big church, and he had a baby. And I asked him if he's going to baptize his baby. Kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, I was being a little bit cheeky, but uh, <laughs> you yeah, knew the knew answer was, was no, right? <laughs> right. And and his, that's what his answer was. But it really struck me. He, this is what he said. He said, "No, Brian, you know we practice believers' baptism." And all of a sudden, it struck me that what he thought I practiced, what the Lutheran Church practiced, was unbelievers' baptism. Oh. You see? In other words, if we baptize babies, we're baptizing unbelievers. And this is where this kind of this discussion of infant faith needs to come up, because it's not as if we think that uh, baptism is some sort of magic trick uh, that happens apart from faith. As well, if, as well, if, if that were the case, then, I mean, really the way we should be practicing baptism was with a fire hose, you know, out at, you know, at big major, you know, sporting events. Right, that's right. But that's not what baptism, that's not what baptism is. It's not a part, you do not receive the benefits of baptism apart from faith. But why in the world would you think that babies don't have faith? Uh, look, baptism, is, but, but maybe to make this point first, baptism is valid and true and a work of God apart from my faith in it. So this is what, how Paul will talk in the beginning of Romans, like Romans chapter 3, he says, um, let God be true and every man a liar. Right. And this is true even with the, when, the prom, when God promises us salvation and baptism, he's true, even if we are liars, if we don't believe it to be true and all of this. Uh-huh. So that even if a person doesn't have faith, the baptism that they they're received by the, 
by God is, is a valid baptism. Okay. But the benefits of baptism, the forgiveness of sins and, and regeneration and a uh, new heart and all of this, these are gifts given by the, by the promise of the Word. And so they're gifts given uh, to, to be received or to be had by faith. Okay. But then the point is just why would you want to exclude children from faith? Uh, here we get into another one of these things where we start looking at the scriptures that talk about infants and babies having faith, and then we have to say, if we reject these clear passages of scripture, we again have another theology at work. Okay, so what are these clear passages of scripture that make it sound like children, even little children, the the, the Pideon, can uh, can have faith? Well, what about what if we start in the Old Testament? Okay, start. Sounds uh, good. Psalm seventy-one, verse five and six. Okay, it says this. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Okay. By you I have been upheld from my birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My, pra- my praise shall be continually of you. And, and, and it's especially this, here in the New King James, it says, By you I have been upheld in my youth. But here's another, the NIV says, From birth I have relied on you. RSV is, upon thee have I leaned from my birth. And an American translation, is that the Beck Bible, AAT? I have depended on you from birth. Okay. This is this, I mean, even as a youth, I trusted in the Lord, and from, and from my birth, I, I relied on the Lord. This is how the, the psalmist is speaking. Here. Okay, so the inspired psalmist here is basically making the case that he's trusted in God from his birth. Right. How's that possible if he didn't make a decision? <laughs> well, see, look at wait, what, what is faith? I mean, what this decision for Christ business? Uh, I mean, if someone has the ability to make a decision, you would then expect them to make a decision. But faith is something much more simple. Faith is faith is is trust in the in a promise. Okay. Faith is is believing uh, that someone is true. And, and this is, I mean, this is why the scriptures are constantly showing us faith by showing us children. Because if they can do anything, they can, they can trust. Faith is being being on the receiving end of someone else's gift. And if and if children are good at anything, they are being they are good at receiving gifts. Yeah, in fact, I think it's funny that Jesus Christ holds up the faith of a child as some kind of a model faith. You know, right? <laughs> that that no, we. I know. Yeah, and so Jesus says, if you have faith as a little, unless you have faith as a little child, you you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But the evangelicals would take the verse and say, if you have faith in the little as a little child, but of course remember that little children can't have faith. Right. But if you don't have faith like them, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, this is crazy talk. Right. So that, that by the way, uh, it would be Luke eighteen. Okay. Verses fifteen to seventeen, and you have parallels in Matthew nineteen and Mark ten. And these verses, by the way, are all outlined in this infant pa- in infant faith paper. Good. But here, here's Luke eighteen fifteen to seventeen, and they also brought infants uh, to Jesus that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him and said, "Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God." Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Well, it sounds to me like 
contrary to what the disciples might have thought, it sounds like the disciples were similar to what you would expect from a, a, an American evangelical. They were trying to forbid the little children from coming to him. And Jesus said, no, bring them here. And not only that, unless your faith is like theirs. And, you know, it's funny. I've, you know, I, I have three kids and they've kind of moved beyond that simple trust phase to where now they rationalize and question and talk back. And, you know, two of them are teenagers. But, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's it's always amazing to me, these the young, the, the little children. I mean, you can tell them a story and they will hang on your every word and believe everything that you say just because you say it. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's this complete unquestioning uh, trust that it, not only is it trust, it's an excited trust, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's right. And even, I mean, you see it even if you go younger and younger. I mean, this text is talking about the infants here. Right. And, you know, we've got a little baby. Isaac is at home, and he's uh, like uh, 15, 16 days old. I tell you what, he's not, uh, uh, he's sleeping and he's eating uh, and he's making dirty diapers. Uh, I mean, that's what he's doing. But he talk about eating, the boy can eat. And he can, and he's happy when we give him gifts like changing his diaper and this sort of thing. I right. Mean, he knows how to receive gifts. Now, he, what what gifts is he giving back? What decision is he making for? He he hasn't told uh, Carrie or I that he that he loves us or this sort of thing. I mean, he, right. You know, he he's not built for that. He's built for being on the getting end of all of this giving. Um, right. You know, people are sending gifts to him and all of this stuff, and he's and he gets all of these gifts. That's. This is how it is to be a Christian, is to be on the getting end of God's giving uh, the gifts of life and salvation. Which is really contrary to a theology of glory, which would have you be the giver and God always on the receiving end. Everything you do is in service to, uh, to placate or to please God who's basically watching and expecting you to perform for him like a monkey. Yeah, do you remember that little line uh, in the Luther's large catechism on the first commandment where he says, the worst idol in all the world is the God who needs my service? Yeah. Oof. But that's really the God that's been fashioned. That's the, that's the false God that's fashioned in Christian services, the God that needs, uh, that needs my service, that needs my help, that needs me to react to him, that needs me to respond, that needs me to receive or decide or to pray or to ask or to invite or anything like this. Right. But, but look, at that's not... The God of the Scriptures is the God who gives. Yeah. By the way, someone's sitting there and they say, but now, uh, look, you guys are cheating because this passage in Luke 18 <laughs> isn't talking about baptism. And, and I, grant the, I grant that point. Jesus is not teaching about baptism here. He's and teaching about faith. To, right. I, yeah, so I'm not trying to assert that this is a baptismal text. I'm trying to assert that, that babies have faith, and that is what the text is teaching. Right. Not just this one, but more. You want them to go yeah. to another one? Oh, please, continue. How about Matthew 18? And this is good. Uh, we're going to go 18, uh, 1 to 6, <clears throat> even though they're really kind of two different verses here. So 1 to 5 first, and then verse 6. At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Then who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child to him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this one in my name receives me. But whoever causes, and now look at this verse 6, what Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me (laughs) to sin, it would be better for for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so now we have little ones believing in Jesus. How old is that little one? How old is that little one there, Pastor? Well, 
look, we got a bunch of Greek words uh, working for um, uh, uh, for the word for children. The, mm-hmm. the little one there is the Greek word mikron, which can mean a number of things. It can mean it just it literally means small one. It's like microscopic. Right. Uh, it means small one. It can be used to describe a person's stature. Like I think uh, Zacchaeus was a mikron man. Uh huh. Um, or one's age. Uh, or in esteem or influence or power, this sort of thing. But in the context, the, the word that's being used uh, earlier uh, in Matthew 18 is the word paideon, which right. is just the basic Greek word for uh, for child. It can be a young child, it can be an infant, it can be a, boys, a boy or a girl, generally. But when you compare Matthew 18 and the previous text from Luke 18, which mm-hmm. are parallels, you see that they were bringing to Jesus uh, 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 infants. Right. And so, so this, I mean, it applies for all children. The, the word will, will not allow the exclusion of infants. No, it doesn't. And not only that, it uses even the, uh, the, Greek, the same Greek verb that for believe, you know, that we, you know, is pistuo in the Greek. So, and it literally, it's for those little ones who are believing in me, you know, active, it's an active participle there. So, I mean, they're, ba- you know, we're dealing with here is Jesus actually saying that there's these, little children who trust in him yeah and you don't want to cause them to stumble How, well where did their faith come from pastor well faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god this is it and so this is why baptism delivers this marvelous gift to children because baptism is like like we had in ephesians 5 the washing of water and the word right uh, it's not water just spilled on a baby. It's, right. it's the water and the word which comes to the child. Mm-hmm. Now, can children believe without being baptized? Oh, sure. I think so. Absolutely. Uh, John the Baptist, for example, leaps in the womb, and he had yet to be baptized. Right. Uh, th- that the word of God um, has this effect of creating faith on those who, who hear it by the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. But we, we have this marvelous comfort that in baptism we know the Word is there meant precisely for this child, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is uh, giving all these gifts that God promises to give with baptism. Right. Now, you, you bring up a good point. You know, can God give faith without, without baptism? Absolutely. He does all the time. Um, I remember one of the things that really jostled me, you know, my thinking when I was in college uh, was that there was a there was a young married couple that was uh, on campus at uh, Christ College, and uh, they had you know the the gal had gotten pregnant and then she miscarried a few months later, and she was really really distraught about it and um and so I happened to I forget the exact circumstances I think it was because she was living in my quad at the time, um you know but the campus pastor was was there consoling her and she was really concerned about the eternal fate of this 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 uh young 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 fetus of hers that had died and um and what really jostled me was the comfort that the pastor gave to this young lady and basically said well have you been attending church and she says well yes i i, I attend every sunday and and he says well i mean do you believe that children have ears to, that they can hear? And she says, "Well, yes." And you know, she's and she says, "I I remember reading a study about how if you play Mozart for your children, they become smart." Yeah, and, and you know, and and so he said, "What did your mother play for you?" Um, uh, acid rock. <laughs> <laughs> but so what happened is, is that he basically then pointed her back to the external gospel that she was hearing Sunday after Sunday. Even though, uh, even though her he she couldn't see her unborn child at the time, that unborn child was 
hearing the gospel in the in the hymns that were sung in hearing the gospel in the sermons that were being preached and basically so in order to comfort her he turned her back to the external word of god and says that god is capable of of of, of working faith even with some with a child that's in the womb just much the same way as john the baptist and that was something that that as an evangelical my mind was going you know it was literally short circuiting but at the same time i'm thinking that's probably one of the most beautiful things i've ever heard in my life and um, and it, again, it was one of those things that just was another nail in the coffin regarding baptism for me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, it's it's really fantastic. Well, people say then, well, if the if the baby can have faith apart from baptism, then why do you baptize it? And and then you just got to ask the question, why why the heck are you even asking that question? <laughs> I mean, we are so minimalistic, you know. Right. It's like uh, we, you know, how when you go to Disneyland. Uh, and they got the you got to be this tall. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, I can be that tall. I can. I'm finally 42 inches tall, and I can go on the pirates of the uh, of the internet uh, ride there that they have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you go to Disneyland all the time, don't you, Pastor? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make some sort of joke about your radio station. You're you're failing miserably. <laughs> Sorry. So and you say, well, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna, now that I'm I've reached this height of this ride, I'm not going to grow anymore. This is good enough for me. I'm right. Just stop. We are always so interested in the minimums, but God is the exact opposite. I mean, He pours out His Word to us right. in all of these manifold ways. He does it in baptism with all these promises. Mm-hmm. He does it just in the raw gospel preached and all of the promises attending to it there. He does it in the Lord's Supper. He right. does it as we, as in the hymns. He does it as we speak the Lord's Word to each other. He even does it on on, uh, on radio shows. He, he just continues to pour forth his mercy and grace towards us in abundance. Right. I mean, not, uh, it, it, uh, with our children, we don't just give them one Christmas present at Christmas. You know, it's not like my, you know, my children, once that, you know, they've received the one present that we've given them or they, they open up the first one, they go, oh, well, that's all I need. I don't need another one. Thank you, parents, for, for this wonderful Christmas gift that you've given me, even though it's a pair of socks. It's a lovely pair of socks and I don't, I don't need any more gifts. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and that's how our Heavenly Father is even more lavish and abundant than we are. I mean, he gift upon how Jesus says it, if you who are wicked not a good gift, imagine how God will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. And then, and look, and there's even more here, comfort uh, in this. But I think evangelicals try to get around this with this age of accountability, is that God doesn't hold you accountable for your sin until you've reached some sort of goofy, man-made tradition of the age of accountability. Well, what's funny is they're, they're they're looking they're looking to the uh, to Judaism's version of the bar mitzvah. You know, if you you know, you hit a particular age, now you're a man, and now apparently you're accountable. And you know, I always thought it was interesting that there's a bunch of thirteen-year-old guys running around who are officially men right but but, uh, but see you see what the problem there is you're looking for comfort apart from jesus and god's word right just in just in some sort of natural state so there's two ways now to be saved either to die before you get to the age of accountability or uh to reach the age of accountability and make a decision for christ well if, but, our, if our children are automatically saved before they reach the age of accountability then we should be practicing abortion and infanticide like crazy well, you know, look, that's not, that's not a, I mean, you say that's nutty, but it's not so nutty. But, but even the, even the question uh, refutes itself, because if children weren't held accountable for their sin, then they would never die anyway, right. because the wages of sin is death. Yep. But someone asked me this the other day, because they had this idea that you're not held accountable for your sin until you reach the age of accountability. And so they had the assumption, just the natural assumption, that we shouldn't be fighting that hard against abortion because children who are killed in the womb will make it into bliss. Make uh. it into heaven, uh, and so they asked me the, the question: Well, how are babies saved? 
how, how do they attain heaven? And the and the answer is just simply the same way that adults are. Right. By faith in Christ and His Word. Right. And how does that faith come to us? Through yeah, that faith is the work of God Himself. I mean, exactly. Not that you may boast; it's the work of God. I right. Mean, and you know, right. so you got that. You got that passage in Ephesians two, uh, chapter two, verses eight, nine, and ten. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is the, the gift, gift of, of God. God. Yeah. You know, so faith is a gift of God. So the question is, does God limit this gift of faith to only adults? No, because if you read the clear passages of Scripture, he Christ talks about little micron children who are believing in him, having faith, pistuo, it's there, it's the same it comes off the same Greek root word, you know, as faith. Yeah, we got some more verses on that, by the way, too. Are we running out of time, or do you just go forever on this show? Yeah, <laughs> well, you've you've discovered one of the very interesting things of this particular program is that we go until I'm good and done. <laughs> World without end. Amen. amen. <laughs> oh man. Well, here, here's another one. Though, then, if you want to keep going for it, let's look at Matthew 11 verses 25 and 27. Okay. Jesus says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babies. <laughs> Little Napion. children, yeah. Uh, even so, I, what does that word napion mean? i got to look up my uh, little glossary here in this little paper to remember. Uh-huh. Uh, napion. This word can be used of an infant often nursing. Okay, so so he's hidden these things from the wise and then revealed them to nursing children. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he to who the Son wills to reveal them. So, I mean, you, this is a quite stunning verse. It sounds like the Gospel of John, right in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh-huh. And the Son, you, don't, you can't know the Father unless the Son wills to reveal him to you. But he can will to reveal him to anyone. And, and here it says that he's hidden him from the wise and revealed him to babies. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. Yep. How, what are you gonna, how can you argue against this stuff? Well, you're just putting God in a box. Well, no, God, I'm <laughs> rejoicing that God has put himself in the box for me. Okay. Because, because look, at here he's telling me, I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to do these things. He's telling me he's going to do them. Right. I got another one for you. I keep going. This is good Matthew, stuff. Matthew 21, 15 and 16. Okay. The chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he, Jesus, did, and the children, the Pideon, crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Uh, because the, it's the Pharisee, it's, oh, isn't this interesting? The Pharisee <laughs> can't, ch- can't stand for the children to have faith in Jesus. Right. Uh, I say that quietly. <laughs> then Jesus says, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, uh, have you never read... Out of the mouth of babes, napion, and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Wow. The Lazatan. Psalm 8-2. That's what Jesus is quoting from. Out of the mouth of babies and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. Apart, of course, from them having faith. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, uh, the little uh, nursing babies can have perfect, perfected praise, but they don't trust in Christ. Because they, they are not capable of making a decision. Now, this is an interesting little side note. This is uh, Let me bring this up. And that is, is that if we make Christianity only eligible for those who somehow can make some kind of a cognitive decision for Jesus, then we're not only excluding little children, but we're also excluding those who are developmentally challenged or have developmental disabilities. 
And um, and the thing I love about this is because God can give His gift to whomever He chooses, and He gives it through His Word and through and through the you know through baptism, the promises associated with it, that 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 faith is for everybody, including those who never in their lifetime are they ever going to cognitively be able to make a decision for Jesus. I remember one time. <clears throat> Um, our pastor, Pastor Hodel, he does some uh, ministry work at a at a local uh, hospital. It's not really a hospital; it's like a home for those who are developmentally disabled. And uh, we invite them to our church uh, for uh, the gift service about once a month. They all come in, and uh, I happen to have been attending one of the services. And it was really, really neat. You know, to you know, there was a, there was a gentleman who was there who was just as excited as can be and he had down syndrome um that he was there hearing god's word and what we we had communion together and the way this the gift service works that we don't wait in a line we kind of all go up to the altar because it's a smaller more intimate service and um he was right in front of me and literally as pastor hodel was was you know he was bringing the uh the bread and and the wine and he he said, you know, this is the body of Christ broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And this guy literally breaks out. He couldn't have been happier. I mean, the joy that in, you know at just receiving this this silly little wafer at this point. And he goes, for me, for my sins, for me, for my sins. And pastor says, yes, for your sins. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he has more faith than I do. Oh yeah, you know. It just it, it 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 made me break down and cry at the time, just because that was such a beautiful thing to see this this man's excited faith to receive these gifts from God for the forgiveness of his of his sins, and he wasn't clouded with all of these with all of this stuff and baggage and theological things running around. Instead, he was just there, excited to receive this gift, and it was such an amazing thing. And when we understand that faith is something that's given as a gift from God, and it's for all of us, then we can rejoice in those who are never going to cognitively be able to make a decision for Jesus because we can rejoice because they are given faith the same way that I am, no differently than I am. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what we realize is not that, uh, that, that faith uh, excludes children or, ref- or excludes people who are handicapped or excludes people who are sleeping or whatever. We, what we realize when we begin to see the Scripture's definition of faith, and especially as Jesus connects it to children, is that we can rejoice that it even includes us. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that we, even though we have these intellects that always want to question and doubt and reason and sort things out, and even though all of the, even the Lord Jesus has dealt with us so kindly that even we, who because of our mental acuity have a difficulty with faith, right? He still gives it to us as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Christ you know, has given even me faith. That's right. <laughs> it's in That's fact right. when you when you put it that way, the bigger miracle is that is that a nerd like me could actually have faith, you know, because Christ calls me to have the faith of a child. That's right. So that it's it should be natural for us to see that children have faith, and then the stunning thing should be that we have faith. Although right. I mean, because we're sitting here in an evangelical culture, we got to be everyone has to be stunned that babies have faith. But you, there's a sense, a real sense in the scriptures that this is not the surprise. Right. The surprise is that adults have faith.
Right. Uh, that the rich man can manage to enter the kingdom of heaven by the by the miracle of God, things like this. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and that's the funny thing is that, you know, when you listen to Christ, the things that are surprising are the, you know, everything's turned on its head, you know. The Pharisee is not the one who's justified before God. It's the tax collector. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, well, wait a second. I didn't see that one coming. You know, it, 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 the Samaritan is held up as, you know, and, and, the, and the, the irony in that passage is, is that Jesus himself is, is quietly and very subtly equating himself to the Samaritan. No, it's just stunning, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is how the kingdom is. Everything is backwards. You've got to be last to be first. You've got to give up your life to gain it. You've got to, uh, you've got to be lowly so you'll be exalted. You've got to be poor so you'll be rich. You've got to mourn so you'll be comforted. Everything, is, everything in the kingdom is upside down. Right. And you've got to be a child to be, the, to, be the, to be the heir of the kingdom. Right. And that adoption comes through purely by the will of the Father. That's right. You keep referring to that verse, uh, or implying that verse from John 1, yep. that we're born uh, not by the will of man, uh, but by the will of God from, from John chapter 1, which is precisely what we're talking about here. Right. So in a, in a real sense, I mean, these, these passages that not only tell us what baptism does, but tell us about infant faith, um, it, it, it challenges everything that we would naturally think and intuitively think, which really speaks to just how broken and depraved we are and how backwards things are in this current world because of our sin. Well, yeah. I mean, see, these things shouldn't, you're right, these things shouldn't be a surprise to us. Uh, but, it, I mean, it is the reason why the Lord has to give us His Scripture, because because we do not we do not naturally know the, or understand or perceive the kingdom of God. The natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Right. Uh, first, first Corinthians 2.14 there. So, so the Lord has to give it to us by His Spirit and by His revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and but you look, at, when you come back to the original question about baptism, you know, when, when someone says, when we're, I mean, I remember this difficulty too, how can a baby believe? How, you can't baptize babies because they don't believe. Well, first of all, let's say, let's, let's get it straight, that our faith is built upon the foundation of our baptism, not baptism on the foundation of our faith. Okay, explain that. Have, explain you that. You don't have to go around... Well, see, uh, the, the, the evangelical will say, well, you can be baptized if you have faith. And if you ever don't have faith, you lose your faith, or you walk away from faith, or as they would say, you never really had it, you were just pretending, then what has to happen? You've got to be rebaptized, Because baptism is only as valid as your faith. Now, we understand that there's a connection between baptism and faith. Faith is that which receives the blessings of baptism. Mm-hmm. But my f- baptism does not depend on my faith. It's the opposite. Rather, my faith trusts in the gift of baptism. Ah. So there, I don't have any rebaptism or anything like this. Baptism stands as the Lord's sure and certain word, apart from my faith, so that my faith can have something to cling on to. Right. Uh, did I just say Klingon? Yeah, you did. That's okay. I, I won't I won't hold that Trekkie slip against you. <laughs> My faith has something to cling to. Right. I should say like this. Uh, and so so we got that. But then the second thing we got to say is when you say, well, babies can't, ought not be baptized, they don't have faith, we just have to say, you're absolutely nuts. Because the Bible over and over gives up and tells us that not only can babies have faith, but they do have faith. Right. They, they, just like adults. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, if if infants have faith, then they received it as a gift from God, just the same way that I received it as a gift from God. Exactly. 
it's not it's not apart from that it's it's all connected to it so i mean so that means that god can save anyone he wants to right and we can't stop him <sighs> well see if i could stop him then i could be like god right right <laughs> I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. What are you going to do about it, the Lord says. Well, I can put a stop to that by making requirements (laughs) that exclude people. Right. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it. There you have it. So, well, I think that that pretty much handles the topic itself. It's it's a, a different way of approaching it, but it's, you know, it... It's a careful study. Again, go if, you, if you're not sure what baptism is, open up your Bible and start letting God's Word tell you what it is and what it does, what it's for. And, and, and not only that, let God's Word speak to you about who it is that can have faith. So, you know, we shouldn't forbid the little children from coming to Christ. And Christ told us to go and make disciples of all nations. That includes everybody. Big, small. Or, how's that Horton thing? A person's a person no matter how small. You know that, Doctor Seuss. Recording Doctor Seuss. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works here. It works oh, here. Oh man, <laughs> must be getting late. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing theologians for your noggins. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man. Anyway, but I mean that's that's really the idea. What I'll do is I'll put a link up to uh, this uh, article uh, called "Infant Faith: A List of Scriptures" that was written by Pastor Wolfmuller back in 2006. And uh, if you if y'all have questions about it, and uh, you you can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or if they want to come on to your website, um, the, uh, you, you Pastor Wolfmuller, you host a, a a theological game show here on Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Lutheran theological game show on Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> Everybody's we have we've we've heard that from at least one person. <laughs> <laughs> Table Talk Radio, you and uh, Evan Gagline, you uh, in. You guys do some really silly things on that show, uh, but yeah. um, we so, have become fools for the gospel. Th- there you go. <laughs> yeah, tabletalkradio.org, the website. Uh, a lot of this business is also on our church website, hope-aurora.org. And if you hit, uh, you can go to the pastors page, or if you hit, go to beliefs and articles, and you can see a, uh, go down to baptism. There's five or six articles about baptism, including infant faith, a list of scriptures, and what's the big deal about baptism, and should a person be rebaptized, and a couple of another other things up there as well. So. Excellent. Well, that's a powerful resource, and we'll put a, I'll put a link up to you, uh, your Hope uh, Lutheran uh, page as well at, at fightingforthefaith.com tonight after, we, uh, after we're done with the program. I'd like to thank, right you, f- thank you for coming on, Pastor Wolf. Hey, it's always my pleasure. If you get a lot of questions or uh, correspondence like this, then let's, uh, let's uh, take it up again and, and uh, talk some more and rejoice in the gifts the Lord has for us in baptism. There we go. There we go. And if, you know, if we're inundated with a whole bunch of people throwing water at us, you know, water balloons for this whole baptism, Baptism thing, then I might just have to bring you on just so I can, you know, take some duck and cover. So that's right. I'm I'm always willing, and you keep up the good work there, Chris, uh, uh, with the show and with Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, uh, don't grow weary of doing good. Well, thank you. We'll do. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take we're gonna go into our uh, second break here a little bit late, and when we come back, we'll do listener email. So uh, let's see here. Uh, I have to get the second break music ready to rock and roll here because I wasn't even ready. You see, that's what happens. So, there we go. Take our second break. Again, if you want to email us, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back with listener email. So stay tuned. 
If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. We're back. Now, that was a good interview. Oh, that's what. And now, I know that there's a lot of folks that are listening, that this that that particular interview on infant baptism is just going to be one that is mind-boggling. You know, how can two rational adults sit there and defend infant baptism they, when they, when they, it's clearly not biblical. That's their thinking. And so the, I, the hope there is, is that by laying out the past passages of scripture that show that, you know, that there's all these promises attached to baptism and that, that God can give faith even to an infant and does. And in fact, he calls us to have infant faith that, um, that by looking at these things and taking all of scripture and what it teaches, that you'll see that the promise of salvation is not just to adults. Far from it. It's for all of humanity. Young, old, small, large, really large like me. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that large. So but you know, I'm I, I'm I'm a man of girth. So but you know, when you when you really you take a look at what the passages of scripture say, the first thing that becomes clear is is that the evangelical reason for baptism isn't supported in Scripture. It's just not there. 
Instead, there's a completely different doctrine. There's a different theology that runs counter to it, and it's a theology based upon promises that the, that baptism is gospel. It's not law. It's not something you do to be saved, but no, it's something that is done to you by God, and, and, and attached to it are all these gospel gifts. I like the fact that it makes more sense for an infant to receive faith than an adult. Yeah, it does. It really does. And, you know, and uh, over and again, I'm humbly reminded of that little fact. And today's conversation with Pastor Mulfamiller again brought that, you know, to light that, you know, we have a good and gracious father and he calls us his children and calls us to have the, the faith of little children. And think back if you're if you're old and curmudgeoning like me, you know, think back to when you were young and what it you know and it's almost that excitement of that that you experience as a child looking forward to and anticipating the gifts that come at christmas time it's that kind of faith that kind of excitement it's that kind of trust you know do you think god's got a big wallet with lots of pictures a big wallet with lots of pictures yeah, yeah. i th- you know i think god's probably you know he was into digital technology long before <laughs> we were so I, he he's probably got you know some kind of a computer system with all kinds of all his family photos no i'm kidding i have no idea <laughs> <sighs> anyway, well, we didn't do a listener email yesterday. We didn't. We have some listener email today, though. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dive right into it. All right, man. Where do I start? You know, we're we're falling behind. You know, but uh, so here we go. We're gonna dive into some listener email here. Um, Andrew writes. He says he calls me Big Dog, D A W G. So, you know, but see, I'll, I'll accept him calling me a dog. Rather than than uh, Rob Bell, he says uh, to be. Uh, this is regarding uh, the prosperity gospel in action. Is what his email is called. He says, to be honest, I didn't believe it until this morning. But the prosperity gospel is real. Now I find it funny that somebody would actually not think that the prosperity gospel is real. Believe me when I tell you, not only is it is it real, it's alive and kicking in America. And unfortunately, this is one of our greatest heretical exports. That you know that we're sending overseas. So it used to be that you know America was a country that sent out missionaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we send out missionaries that are heretical. So you know we we're rather than than preaching the gospel, we're sending people to hell. Isn't that great? He says. Anyway, so he says, "How do I know?" This morning I was driving to work and I saw a car with a bumper sticker that read "Prosperity, Your Divine Right." Oy, not kidding. I've actually, I've, I've seen this, uh, I've seen that bumper sticker myself, prosperity, your divine right. There it is. There's your confirmation. If it's on a bumper sticker, it must be true. And the woman driving the car got it. So she bought that bumper sticker. Apparently, but the funny, I guess it was a little bit of irony in that, you know, if she has a bumper sticker that says prosperity, your divine right. And apparently she was driving an 89 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. Now, an 89 Oldsmobile is not necessarily the car that I think of when I think of prosperity. I mean, here in South Orange County, uh, you see a lot of the you know, 500 series uh, Mercedes Benzes running around. Of course, I don't have one of those. But, uh, but I mean, that's, that, that would – or a Lexi. Now, is Lexi the singular of Lexus? <laughs> uh, you don't know. Okay. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, and he, he said that uh, – that she she was driving an eighty nine Cutlass uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra with a with a bit of rust coloration. So apparently, prosperity is her divine right, but she hasn't somehow cashed in on her right yet. Anyway, so <laughs> so just like you know, Aunt, you know, so Andrew shares that with us. Thank you for that little tidbit of information. That's good to know that people driving eighty nine Cutlass uh, Sierras 
with a little bit of rust color, do believe that prosperity is their divine right. <laughs> Just got to blab it and grab it. See, the problem with the reason why she's driving an 89 Cutlass Sierra is because she doesn't have enough faith. Ugh. You see how that goes? All right. Um, this is talking about Doug Paget. Now, this this is something, you know, the, the Paget interview was one that I did a, a while ago, and this is from Jim. And he writes, he says, I just listened to your show for the first time ever because it touched on the emergent theme. So this is a brand new listener. And Jim, thank you. Welcome aboard. He says, your critique of Doug Paget highlights another instance of something that I've come to see recently. And uh, you yourself made it in an, uh, made it another context in the earlier part of the show. Uh, what is it? He says, well, if emergents want to widen the meaning of the gospel, remember, you know, ask, ask Doug Padgett what the gospel was. What was his answer? Well, the, all of the Bible is the is the gospel. That was his definition. All of scripture, the whole thing is the gospel. He says, if, if emergents want to widen the meaning of the gospel, I think Padgett wants to include all the Bible in our lives, too. Well, yeah, and that's true. He does. You know, our lives are part of the gospel. You're a living gospel. <laughs> then they conflate law and gospel and you correctly pointed out to love god and neighbor is law not gospel that's right you know that's see that's the thing is that when you turn everything into gospel then you don't you you you're blurring categories that and make it so that that these terms don't have any meaning anymore you know love god and love neighbor that's the law and then that's what the text says the law is you know, read it. So gospel isn't love God and love neighbor. I've got great news for you. God wants you to love God and love and love neighbor. Uh, how is that good news again to me exactly? Because I don't. Um, you know, anyway, he says the other day I confronted a false prophet who stood up to preach in my town and his message was to love God and love and neighbor and forget the rest. He wasn't emergent, but he was some kind of a Unitarian. Yeah, that's the, the Unitarians. Uh, they're, I think they were the uh, Unitarian Universalists were the first ones to coin that phrase deeds, not creeds. Anyway, um, as I said to him, but we've all failed to love God. That's the problem. <laughs> see, there we go. You see, smart man here. This is a smart guy here pointing out the fact that the law is accusing us and he's saying we failed to love God and that's the problem. If Paget wants to make the Bible the gospel, that's the whole thing, then I'm lost and I haven't kept the Torah. The law condemns me, but it points me to, uh, but it points me to Christ. Uh, so. There's another, here's another simple refutation. If the gospel was in the Bible, then why wouldn't the word gospel even be coined if it, it would be redundant? So he's taking this thing logically and just picking it apart. You know what I think his problem, though, is I think, I think uh, Jim here is just being too modern. And see, Doug Padgett is, is in his enlightened state. He's postmodern. So, you know, he doesn't quibble about words. He just wants to read narrative theology so that he can experience what it is that God is trying to evoke in you through the reading of the narrative. Moving along. <laughs> Are you going to sing feelings again? Feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. All right. Nate writes. He says, uh, hey, bro. Now, see, this guy, this, I'm his bro. 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 But see, I think that's a truncated form of Rose Bro. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I'm going to interpret it. In fact, you know, he's just calling me. He's getting right to the bro part. Hey, bro. And just skipping over the Rose. You know. <laughs> He says, listening to your show with Oprah and Bacon. <laughs> Funny calling. It's Ed Bacon, by the way. It's weird calling him just Bacon. Um, he says, he reminded me of something. My wife and I uh, have a question we ask our boys. When we hear someone say or read in Scripture, God loves us, we ask, how do you know God loves you? Now, this is a good point. Okay. He says, the six-year-old answers 
quote, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. How do you know God loves you? Because Christ died for your sins. So it amazes me to hear people speak of God's love in abstract spiritual terms. And that's exactly what Ed Bacon and Oprah were doing on their uh, when we reviewed that uh, that spiritual spirit series that Oprah was doing, is that they, Ed Bacon, who's supposed to be a Christian minister, is talking about the love of God completely divorced from Christ dying for our sins. You know, so it's it, it's completely spiritualized, and it's pointing us in the wrong direction. You know, it, it's not pointing us towards Christ. It's pointing us into ourselves. And the problem is, is that we're the problem, not the solution. So, um, so he says, yes, God loves us very much, but only in Jesus's death on the cross for sins. Can we see it? That's right. That's the definitive way that we know it. And here's the deal. You might think, well, wait a second. You know, I'm going to agree with Nate here. Somebody might say, well, we can tell that God loves us because look at, you know, we have sunshine and we have rainbows and we have, we have food to eat and things like that. The problem is, is that, um, those gifts from God, uh, aren't exactly perfect gifts in the sense that, yeah, we have rainbows and there's bunnies and, and there's sunshine, but there's also tornadoes and earthquakes and, and, uh, and hurricanes and, um, diseases and uh, cholera and, you know, and, you know, and natural disasters. So when you, when, when we look at nature, it doesn't necessarily tell us that God loves us. It, it tells us that the, the world is a pretty place, but it's also a really dangerous place for us humans because, you know, random stuff comes along and smashes us and destroys us and, and takes our buildings and turns them into toothpicks and takes our lives and, and, you know, completely obliterates them. You know, so the same God that gives us bunnies and rainbows also gives us tornadoes and hurricanes. How does uh, Lewis describe Aslan and the uh, He's not safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. God's not safe. He's fair. Right. He's fair, but he's not, not safe. safe. That's right. So there's the thing. So, um, so you can't even look to nature to definitively say that God loves us because nature is kind of capricious, you know, which explains why in a lot of the animistic religions, you know, you, you have different sacrifices and dances and things that you try to do to placate and appease God so that it, he'll cause it to rain so that he'll cause the crops to grow so that we all don't as a, as a town crump and die from starvation, you know, things like that. So, you know, so how do we know definitively that God loves us? Well, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins, the scripture says. So, good email, Nate. Okay. Now, this is, I, I threw this in here gratuitously. She, Beth writes, and she's writing about baptism, but it was a different show. Okay, not this one. So she says, loved uh, when you were discussing baptism and how uh, those that deny its saving power focus on the amount of water and not God's word. Again, it's it's crazy to me. He says, I I find they usually acknowledge the word does have power to save through the Holy Spirit, so it's strange that they don't carry that through. And we Lutherans, uh, actually it's funny, it's from Beth, but it's Ron writing. He says, uh, we Lutherans focus on the word and not the amount or mentioned of uh, or method of application of water. Seems like a big smoking hole in their argument to me. Haven't heard it quite put that way, but thanks, Ron. Yeah, that, yeah it, thanks for pointing that out. All right. Now, this, was, this one's going to be a tougher email. This one's going to be a little tougher. Simon writes, and, you know, what's funny is, is that, you know, 
Let me read the email. We'll kind of we'll uh, pick this apart. And he Simon from Norway writes, and we've actually talked on on Facebook before. He says on Sunday I'm preaching at the church where I'm a member, which is a Pentecostal church. So Simon's a, a Pentecostal, and he he has a preaching position there in his church. And he says I've prayerfully and mindfully sought God and read His Word for a message, and I've come to the conclusion that my sermon will be entitled Judas Christianity. Uh, what I will do is, is what I will do is to, from Scripture, analyze Judas and his motives for following Jesus, and how his spiritual downfall went from being among the twelve who Jesus sent to spread his kingdom and heal the sick, and turned to his disappointment over Jesus not taking the opportunity to be made, to be made king by the people, to to understand what following Jesus really means, probably better than any of the other disciples, to betraying Jesus and trying to make some material gain off of him to regretting betraying innocent blood, but not repenting of his sins and to actually committing suicide. So he says, you know, this is, you know, he's going to be taking the text and really looking at Judas and what he's done. He says in allegory, I will compare Judas's motives for following Christ with modern Christian churches. Now, I, let me say this, Simon, I'm not a big fan of allegory. In fact, I, don't I don't really think allegory is a uh, valid way of, of interpreting scripture, uh, but I don't think that's what you're really talking about here. I don't really think you're talking about real allegory. What I think you're really talking about here is trying to hook in the similarities. So understand when you're preaching uh, regarding Judas and and his eventual falling away, denying Christ, and 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 not receiving Christ's forgiveness. That uh, that we too, you know, in in similar ways, do that in our own lives. So bring out his sin as a as a way of bringing out the sin in other people, including yourself. Though don't stop, don't just make it a generic uh, people out there, but point that out in how you do it. You know how how you do it, not not just generic modern Christian churches, but people in general. Okay, because you're going to preach about if you're going to preach the law to convict people of their sins, do so in a way that everybody gets leveled. Remember, if you're going to if you're going to light off the law, think of it as a tactical nuclear weapon. You want to make sure that no one's standing at the end of it, including yourself. And he says, okay, so um, for following Christ with modern Christian churches, where it's all about me and not about Jesus, where it's all about what I can get out of him rather than what uh, he can do through me. So again, that that's using Judas for that is a great lead in to pointing out how all of us as Christians, all of us, you know, this exists in every one of us because we're both sinner and saint, you know, that uh, we are tempted to uh, make Jesus about me to want to continue to stay in in the driver's seat to, you know, to you know make Jesus a genie that's available to my beck and call, turn him into my personal life coach or things like that and drive that home as something that's really, truly sinful. Show it for what it is. It's, it's a form of idolatry where you stay, uh, where you, you, you exalt yourself above God, you know? So Simon, when you do that, really, really do. He says, I, he says, I also want to use Joel Osteen as a gross example uh, through analyzing some of his teaching, even uh, the intro to his program where he says, you're an overcomer and more than a conqueror today, discover the champion in you. Oh, I know. I can't. I can't. Every time I hear that, I just want to vomit. You know, you, I, I wonder if I have that as a soundbite. <laughs> you know what? Knowing me, I, I have it as a soundbite. You know, uh, you know yeah, in fact, here we go. You may have... All right, here we go. Here it is. Claims made by the sponsors. 
Discover the champion in you. Okay. So so in his sermon, Simon wants to actually play that as part of his sermon and, and kind of bring out, he says, um, uh, today, discover the champion, you're completely omitting Christ. Yeah, that's what he does. You can listen to Osteen and take him for what he is as a motivational speaker, speaker but you cannot claim that he's a pastor who preached the word of God. And he says, I also emphasize how church today has become so seeker-sensitive that the church fails to function as it should in being the house of God where sinners can confess their sins, hear the word of God, be strengthened in faith, share communion, worship, and be equipped for evangelism. It's as if the church has been uh, has been vetoed by the world and being told how to do things. It's not that Christians who attend church are better people than non-Christians. No, the church is full of sinners. But for provi- precisely that reason... Uh, the the threshold should remain high because it reminds us that we are sinners and that uh, and that attending church involves confessing of sins and greater understanding of God's grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he asked me if I'd be willing to comment on you know on on his thoughts regarding his and uh, uh, what he wants to do. I will say this, um, Simon. It sounds like you have a good outline for a sermon here. I would I would be careful though in this sense that uh, one of the things that I I like to see is that this is a little bit more of a Sunday school lesson, not necessarily a sermon the way you've described it. Uh, if you're and if you're gonna if you're gonna really make sure that you're you, you, what you've outlined here as far as showing our sin and kind of holding up the mirror of God's law and the and the problems and deficiencies within the Christian church, I think you're you're what you're pointing out is absolutely valid. But uh, one of the things you're going to want to do is is I would take just as much time then in trying to t- trying to explain, go back into your outline and uh, spend as much time trying to figure out how to in in a way that shows the shock of the gospel, bring us bring the gospel to the people in your congregation as well. Bring them bring them the shockingly good news that Christ died for our sins and spend find ways in which you can use all of these sins that you're that you're rightfully pointing out all of these issues that you're rightfully pointing out that are deficient within the Christian church and within ourselves today you know pointing out our sins turn around turn that around then and show us the gospel show us Christ crucified for our sins and him forgiving us for even these sins you know so hook hook the gospel into this law and it it this is it's a it's a very law heavy sermon that I'm hearing right now but uh you know so you're doing a good job of convicting us of our sins but where's the shock and joy of the gospel you know that's that would be my question and you want to spend as much time uh, bringing us that shock and joy, or bringing your, uh, the people uh, the shock and joy, and then, and then he says he you know so need some gospel. One of the things I did when I was uh, teaching at the Baptist church, I always made a point of telling people that you know in today's Sunday school lesson you're going to hear the gospel. So um, you're almost there. You're almost there, Simon. Let's uh, if if you want my opinion on this, my opinion is you got you got the law buttoned down properly. Now, shock us with the gospel and, and make it so that we, at the end of this, realize that we have a good and gracious God who is for offering us forgiveness and mercy, even for these terrible and wretched sins that you're, that you're listing and pointing out here um, you know, at the front end of your sermon. And t- hooking that into what Judas has done is, is actually, I think, a very valid thing to do. All right. So we've got more email that we'll do tomorrow. Um, we're at the end of our program for today. So um, if you would like to email me, 
and uh, comment on anything that you've heard today. I know that we spent a lot of time in baptism today and talking about uh, about infant baptism. And I know there's a lot of people who are going to be you know feel challenged or who might just strongly disagree. That's okay. Um, you're allowed to do that. Email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And until tomorrow, God bless you.